Welcome to Rugged Rants, a tough and yes, at times bold conversation on the future of innovation and what we can expect as work changes. I'm your host, Susan Campbell. Today's episode is all about the future of brands. How should brands position themselves to excel in this competitive marketplace? And I'm excited to have our guest today, Larry Weber, CEO of RacePoint Global and founder of the Weber Group. He'll share his experience and some key takeaways on his 40-something years of experience in communication and digital marketing. Welcome, Larry. Hey, it's great to be here, Susan. Wow. Um, I am so excited to have this conversation with you today. 40 years, that's a remarkable career. To be successful for that long is just over the top. But um, And I guess in your intro, I didn't mention you've written several books too, which is um, so exciting to me. So I want to talk a little bit about that too. But uh, let's get started and um, tell me a little bit about, Larry, uh, what got you into the world of public relations and communications? Well, it was all sort of by accident. I um, Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was serendipitous, Susan. You know, I had gotten out of graduate school with a degree in 20th century British and American literature and couldn't get a job. And really? So, right. So everybody said, you know, either go teach, which I did for a year or two, or get into marketing. And I didn't know what marketing was. And uh, so I started working for a big firm in Ohio where I grew up. And my wife, uh, who grew up in Boston, kept going, you know, Boston's really nice. So we eventually got here and I was working for a big ad agency. And I was writing uh, for Titleist Golf Balls, why 386 dimples are going to make your ball go straighter and further. And I thought I was going to kill myself. And um, <laughs> uh, I, I went, everybody said it was going to get better. And I went over to Cambridge one weekend for a party. And I met a guy that had started a software company, and it was called Lotus. And it was one of the early oh, wow. competitors to Microsoft. And that really changed things for me because what they wanted was a storyteller. They thought that ad agencies at the time uh, didn't know how to simplify complex stories. And the, the technology industry was definitely complex at that time. And so we just started telling stories and started interfacing with um, the influencers within the technology industry. And one thing led to another, and we got more accounts. And before I knew it, by 1990, we were the largest technology PR firm in the world in introducing software companies like SAP, SAS Institute, uh, uh, HTML, uh, which wow. is yeah, World Wide Web. So it was really a blast. And, um, you know, and I still have fun with companies. You know, today we you know, are doing some of the similar work around innovation, uh, mm -hmm. which is what really drives my interest. If a company's not being innovative, it's not going to grow. And companies like Panasonic, companies like John Deere are, are really trying to innovate with their use of technologies. And I just think that's the coolest thing to s tell stories about. And brands are about telling stories. Sure. Uh, yeah. So, well, John Deere probably has a lot more of a story than Titleist Golf Ball. No, no offense oh to the God. golfers out there, but uh, yeah, I actually yeah. grew up um, not too far from the USGA Golf Museum, where they do a lot of the golf ball testing. Do you ever? Right. Do you ever make and there the is trip technology there? in in that area. Oh, yeah. And I think, 
you know, that's important. But I was far more interested in where software was going to take everything once I started mm-hmm. to learn about. And obviously, there's a lot of use of software and golf design now and, and what it's doing. And maybe I should go back and call Titleist and see if we can get them as an account again. But, yeah. uh, but uh, you know, I, I, I find the interest in the uh, layers of computing extremely important. And I like to talk about that we're in the seventh phase of computing right now. There's been six others after World War II. And right now we're in that place where technology meets humanity. And so where innovation plays when technology and humanity are together is so fascinating to me. And that's also the future of branding because Mm -hmm. it's how does technology make our lives better? And how does technology integrate itself to make things easier, uh, to, to make things faster, to make things better? And how is it used as a force of good? Uh, in the world. So those are all things I'm really fascinated in. And I'm just pleased that we have some clients that agree with that. So yeah, well, for sure. Let's talk about that when where technology meets humanity. When I experience that, it's usually in a conference room when the um, AV system doesn't seem to work. (laughs) And I always it's funny, I always say, oh, technology making my life easier. Uh, sometimes, you know, wish we had the old uh, overhead projector thing with the clear plastic again. But what where are some of those interesting intersections that you've worked on recently where technology meets humanity and is sort of answering that question in a really refreshing and helpful way? Well, I think um, I'll use more generic technologies. Sure. But what people forget is things like uh, voice uh, recognition. Mm. And, and vo- that's been around since I think we launched Dragon Systems 32 years ago as it spun out of MIT. And core to that code is still in Alexa. It's still in uh, Siri. So. Mm-hmm. You know, what's happening is a refinement of certain technologies that are going to make things easier, faster, better, and things that you don't have to, you know, learn, really. I mean, it it was obvious to me many, many decades ago that uh, especially Americans aren't going to use a uh, instruction manual. So it was going to be learning as we go. And that caused some frustration with the use of new technologies and innovation. But I see... Technologies like uh, the, the reintroduction of AI, machine learning uh, for for the good. Uh, I see voice recognition. I see edge computing. I see uh, you know a lot of these technologies enabling a richer experience, a better experience, and we aren't going to have to figure out how to use stuff. And I think that's what's good. So the the, the brands that are going to succeed are going to make sure that their great technologies innovations actually disappear in a way. Uh, and I think those are the greatest inventions is when you don't even know you're using great technology. Right, right. You know, yeah. So, so you, you um, in your new book, um, authentic marketing, you talk about um, how brands should pers- position themselves and a little bit about purpose-driven marketing. Um, yep. Talk about that, the the power of purpose in, yeah. um, in the way brands go to market. Well, it's funny because I had um, where the seeds were, no pun intended here, by the way, where the <laughs> seeds were sown and 
in the the idea for this sixth book, Authentic Marketing, that I did this year, uh, were two places. One was the CEO and chairman of John Deere, Sam Allen, who uh, was talking to me about that his legacy, he didn't want to be the guy that just sold a lot more green tractors than the guy or the woman before him, and and that uh, he wanted to figure out how he could have some more impact in the world and on some of the issues that what John Deere does for a business can help. And we ultimately came up with you know, technology and software to help farmers have a better yield. Therefore, when there's 2 billion more people on the planet, by 2050, they'll be able to eat. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so uh, the other one was my oldest daughter was graduating from college a few years back. And she, you, you might know when like in colleges, the companies will come recruit kids, you know, yes. in the spring. And uh, they were coming to recruit kids and they asked her and her friend to do the, what I call this sort of survey monkey follow up, like that after, you know, Panasonic was there or after IBM was there, what did you think of the experience with this company? And I said, do you mind if I see some of the questions you wrote down? And I was expecting to see, could I make a good salary here? Could this be a good career? And the first question was, was that a good company? And I was like, I was like, wow, you know, that these young people are saying, you know what? And I, I said, that's got to be a part of marketing for sure, because yeah. the, the future of having transparency about what you're doing and are you doing a good thing? So if you only read one chapter of Authentic Marketing, it's chapter three, which I go deeply into four strategies for the future of branding and marketing. The first is to understand truly what business you're in. So example for John Deere was I said, you're not in the green tractor business. Of course, I got all this pushback. You know, mm -hmm. and I said, no, the business that you're in is helping farmers do better. That's right. the business you're in. Especially if you want to have an impact on the world, right? If you want to sell more green tractors, you're in the tractor business. <laughs> you got it. And yeah. the, se the second strategy, I don't call marketing strategy anymore I or brand strategy. I call it engagement strategies. How do you best go about engaging audiences that are important for your sales, your future, your reputation, you know, all of those things. And usually that's done by constituency. So even think of a healthcare company that has complex constituencies from the patient all the way to the physician, to the payor, you know, right. what are they interested in? What kind of content are they going to engage in? The third strategy, which I think is important that it's marketers always ask is what is your technology and innovation strategy company? You know, what is it? Are you building it yourself? Are you buying it? Are you partnering with it? What is it that's going to set your, your products and your experiences apart? And then lastly, I think it all needs to be held together with a moral strategy or a purpose strategy. And in, you know, uh, I, I lay out a sort of methodology to get to that purpose. You shouldn't leave your DNA. So 
with deer, it was pretty straightforward. You know, we're about helping farmers grow things. So let's help them grow more things better, faster, cheaper, easier uh, so that there's more food. And that to me is a purposeful strategy. And you start then putting that into your content. You start putting that into your owned media, your social media, you know, all the different medias. You work on the earned media and the paid media. And that's how you start to create a brand in this day and age is to really interlace those kinds of messages from the business we're in, the engagement strategies we're we're working on, the technology innovation we're using to do better, and then the purpose or the good that um, is why you should work with us and, you know, and buy from us. So, right. Yeah. Well, it sure sounds like a fabulous approach. It, it, uh, you know, the intersection of the rationally relevant, I need a tractor to farm and the intersection with that relevance on something on an emotional level, right? It's about having a positive impact on the world. Right. It makes for great storytelling. It makes for great content, things that people would actually want to read versus all of the specifications. I'm sure they could go on for quite a while about why their tractor is superior. But when you're really looking at it from through this lens of the four um, objectives you laid out, I could see how it's so much more dynamic and so much more interesting. Right. Very cool. Fruitful. Ha <laughs> There's a pun for you. Uh, so, okay. So let's look at um, in terms of trends that are going on in um, the communications and in technology that brands are using Um Social media is a huge driver of a lot of the conversation that goes on now. What are you thinking about the next big thing marketers need to make sure they're on top of or relevant in? You know, don't miss the boat on. Sure. I'm not sure it's TikTok, but I might, I might, you know, uh, (laughs) be around (laughs) to to regret that, but I'm I'm not so sure. Uh, but the, uh, I think that social media is moving quickly into its second generation. I think validation of facts is going to be important in social media. So it is part journalism and companies like Facebook can't ignore that. So mm. I think, uh, there isn't going to be, I think a huge new trend other than micro segmentation in social media. So actually going into more specific areas that are, uh, the companies might be in and there's audiences that have influencers. Influencers are only going to grow in importance and how you use them in both a paid and an earned way is a trend that's going to continue. I think visualization is a trend that's never going to stop now. I think we're going to see less and less text, whether we like it or not. It's going to be videos. It's going to be, you know, storytelling through pictures. I think YouTube's only going to grow in its power, especially as it becomes more integrated. And then I think uh, using technologies uh, that enable experience. I always like telling a story of going on uh, Amazon uh, last year when um, I had gotten a permission-based email, and uh, which was a typical little marketing technology they had. And they said, Dear Larry, we know you like John Updike because you've bought in books by John Updike. So why don't, uh, you know, 
we have some new videos of him reading from his books. Why don't you come watch those? So I got a glass of wine one night and I went into my library and I'm going to Amazon. Now, you're going to say, Susan Larry, you really have to get a life because I was on Amazon for 90 minutes. But what did I do? What did Amazon create in an experience using technologies to keep me for 90 minutes? Well, first, I went to read a review of my book before this last one, and somebody had written a bad review, and I was, like, really mad. I wanted to give the guy's money back, but I couldn't. And then I just finished Malcolm Gladwell's new book, so I wrote a review of that, spent some time. Then I bought some books, and then I looked at some books that I didn't buy. I watched some more videos. I was entertained by those videos. Uh, and remember this part. Uh, they showed there was a video of William Faulkner, the great American writer, uh, giving his uh, Nobel Peach uh, Nobel Prize uh, in 1949. So I watched that, and uh you know, then at the end of the day, I bought about $300 worth of books, you know, and they were entertaining you. And so, <laughs> so Susan, what, what had happened was they used different technologies to pull me in to entertain me, to involve me at least a little bit socially, like where I'm reading reviews and writing reviews. They got me to look at stuff. They got that data that I didn't buy. They got the data that I bought. Right. And then they also got 300 bucks. Now, when I go on to Amazon a week later, what comes up to the front page? Hi, Larry. Welcome back. Would you like to pre-order the new biography of William Faulkner with $5 off? And I said, of course. So experience, data right. leveraging, the use profiling of Profiling for the good, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, profiling for the good, all that. So I don't think it's this new rocket ship or any kind of brand new technology that's going to, it's using what we have better and more mm -hmm. integrated and smarter and more targeted. I think that's the next couple of years. So let me, let me take you back to a comment you made um, that sort of circles back to where we just finished. You said YouTube when it becomes more integrated. Yeah. And then you said the next technology quote unquote um, would be sort of when things really get integrated. So talk to me about, well, explain a little bit more about what you meant by YouTube when it gets more integrated. Well, I think it's going to have to have more of a user involvement and engagement. It can't just be a presentation. Right okay. now, I view it as a little movie theater, you mm -hmm. know, that you're jumping around. I think just like Twitter, by the way, I don't believe is technically social media. I think it's like this generation's AP news service or wire service. It's a interesting. It's a broadcast uh, platform. So mm -hmm. I, when I may say integrated, I mean, how do you get people to integrate more, create at, at will, you know, get to the top rated things so that we're understanding what's content's having the most impact on right. people and influencing on people. Um, better production. I think we don't have to have million dollar production, but easier, faster, better to use production mm -hmm. of, 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 of visual, visual um, offerings. Right. So, I think that, and then you combine that with, I think, better search. I mean, YouTube eventually, I still think in my life, will become the largest search engine, even over its parent Google, because people are going to want to just search for visual kinds sure. of things, how to tie a bow tie. I mean, I'm Exactly. Yeah. How to program your garage door opener into your car. 
Yeah. Those are great, helpful videos. But that speaks to your production value, right? It's like the the guy who's doing it on his iPhone is making you sick because he's jiggling the phone around. And, you know, it's good content, but the production value is so bad that it's hard to watch. Right. And I'll, it's like I remember a big client whose name will go un, unnamed right now, <laughs> but uh, based in Armont, New York. And I, I just did <laughs> I, I did a quick, I remember doing a quick survey with my team of all their YouTube videos. And I said, you guys have no YouTube strategy. And they said, what do you mean? Of course we have a YouTube strategy. So we well, post everything it? to YouTube. Yeah. I said, what is it? You have some, some videos here that are, you know, red, white, some are blue, some are 30 minutes long, some are 30 seconds long. You have people that don't work for the company, people that do work for the company. You don't have product names in half of the videos. I said, that's a strategy, you know? So, um, Anyway, that's a homework assignment, I'm sure, for half of us, you know, yeah. us speaking or listening. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's a good homework assignment. I'm going to take that one for sure. Yeah. So uh, go back and do a little audit there. Um, but I think it's very interesting the the way, you know, YouTube's future and what they can, you know, do for us in terms of if they really were to hit stride and be integrated and yeah and engaging. So very so anyway, I think it's going to be interesting. We'll see where TikTok goes, by the way, but we'll, there'll always be another TikTok. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, what do you, you know, um, we talked social media. What about influencers? What do you think about their role? Are they important? Is it a long term? Is it a fad? What do you think there? I think what's going to be driven is they are important, but they're going to have to get more authentic. I think you can have the silly influencers to buy the candy bar or whatever. But I think for most things, it's going to have to be a convincing, authentic. And then we're going to have to get over the idea that some influencers are going to be bought. So is that a new type of advertising? Yes, it is. But mm -hmm. that's got to be open and transparent and to – uh, the people that are consuming that video, that this person's being paid. Now, they happen to be an expert and they're very credible, you know, on it. But that's, you know, and it actually goes back to it's it's so funny, you know, how things aren't really Go in full circle. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I re but things evolve. I remember and I mean, the young people listening to this are going to think I'm nuts. But I remember watching television and my grandparents in the early 1960s and late 1950s when television was really starting. And the guy that gave the news broadcast did that for five minutes. Then he stood up and went to another table and did a soap commercial. You right. Know. Right. So. Well, that was an influencer, right? Because you were sitting in a living room and my grandparents go, oh, we like Walter Cronkite. We like that guy that's giving the news. And look, he got up and said, Tide, get your clothes whiter. You know, so, right. you know, so it's not like this is all brand new. It's just a different take. Exactly. Right. With the, the medium is different. Right. Yeah. yeah. The platforms we have and distribution is going to be increasingly important. And then amplification is going to be increasingly important. How we get people to pay attention. So, yeah. And I think amplification or getting people to pay attention goes back to your, you know, directive earlier about defining the business you're in and your engagement strategy and telling that authentic story that has a purpose. Right. When you have something true and genuine to say, it really kind of beats through the noise of yappity yap other things and kind of rises to to the level of um, earning people's sure. interest. Sure. 
Very cool. So uh, you've had a very impressive career, um, no doubt. Uh, what's your advice for brands, especially, you know, one like maybe Panasonic that's about 100 years old, <laughs> just starting out, right? Um, how does how do a, a storied or a, a long-term brand, how do they remain relevant? What would you, what advice would you give um, a brand that needs to achieve longevity and remain relevant? The, the first thing I always tell brands that ask me this question is don't forget what got you here in the first place. You know, there mm -hmm. was a lot of innovation Panasonic had a hundred years ago and over the course of many decades, you know, whether it be a consumer device that people listen to music or whatever it was, there was innovation that was making you a leader. Don't run away from that. In, in, embrace that and show it as an evolution of a brand that's really, you know, cares for innovation, cares for new things, not for the sake of newness, but for the sake of making, again, our lives better, richer, deeper, easier, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah, whether it be the end consumer or the business to business customer, I think you need to look at the brand the same way. I think you always have to have an innovation center, which is second. You know, it needs to be not somewhere like in the middle of California all the time, and it should be right where the headquarters is, or, <laughs> you know, it should be integrated right. into the day to day of everything, much like you know, uh, Bell did early on in New Jersey. Yeah. Um, Bell Labs was, you know, uh, one of the cradles of American innovation. And it was right there, just two floors down. In Murray Hill, New Jersey. Yeah. I'm a Jersey girl, Larry. I know Bell Labs. Oh, <laughs> I worked at AT&T, too. So, uh, yeah, very, very fond of the labs. Yeah. You know, those great restaurants in Bedminster then. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lived there for a few years. <laughs> but oh, I, would, that's great. I would tell that. I also... I would tell brands too, uh, like a Panasonic, be open, honest, direct with what you're trying to do, you know, and I think there's a lot of excitement in everything from smart cities to the mm -hmm. other, the, the rugged, you know, the rugged computing, uh, the stuff that's going to be needed to keep our lives mm -hmm. moving fast, smoothly, uh, rewarding. And I think that you're a major player in all of that. So I think telling those stories, not taking a back seat. I also think brands like Panasonic are going to have to partner more. It's going to have to be interesting to see who your partners are to help create your products and help do better, whether that be software, chip makers, you know, mm -hmm. et cetera. Mm -hmm. So how do you leverage uh, for your brand uh, the kinds of partners you keep and what you work on? So I think that that's important. And, uh, and and then I wouldn't get sucked into the paid media world too much. I I think we overdid that with the 50 years of television that, mm. you know, uh, and, and I think we need to pay a lot more attention to earned media, to owned media and to social media. And uh, I'm not saying paid's bad. I just say, right. you know, I don't think we lead with that as much anymore, that that's a supportive tool, uh, you know, around the other things we do. So, right. um I also think you have to put faces on brands. I really, you know, um, I really don't like brands that try to keep the C-level or the heads of different divisions or products, you know, behind the scenes. I think there needs to be personality. There needs to be faces. There needs to be a human commitment 
that is shown in 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 the branding materials and in the narratives that are being built right. so that it's not just a fake story. So right. people um, buy from people, you know, you got to have a personality. In- yeah, you got it. And, you know. Uh, people go, well, what happens if the CEO leaves? And I go, well, look, you know, I used to like that band Journey in the 1980s and they have a new singer, <laughs> you know, so, but, uh, <laughs> so. Oh, that's so funny. Well, um, thank you so very much, Larry. I enjoyed talking with you this afternoon. I appreciate your time so much. Uh, that's it for us today on Rugged Rants. I'm Susan Campbell. That wraps another episode. Tune in to new episodes and hear from fellow co-hosts Craig Joukowsky or Barry Ross on a whole range of topics, each a tough and bold conversation on the future of innovation and what we can expect as work changes. 